2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verses 8 to 13, where we're going to look in about deacons and we're going to talk about deacons this morning and hopefully as you leave today you'll know what our deacons do and what kind of things we look for in a deacon. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. They must not, uh, sorry, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for deacons. We thank you for those that lead us by serving and serve this church so that, God, we can, as a community, be all that you've called us to be. God, we thank you for Steve who's shared. God, we thank you for the many deacons who have served this church in its history. And we thank you for those that church served today. And God, as we open your word in a few moments and look at that together, uh, speak to us about our own lives. Because surely, God, the things that you've put in this list are what you want for every person to have. Uh, that we would each be people that dis display these qualities of maturity and spiritual growth in our lives. God, uh, as, as we open your word today, speak to us, we pray. Guide us, we pray. And God, this morning as we gather here, we just want to continue to lift up uh, people around the world who need your prayers. We pray for those in Texas today who have uh, been uh, evacuating because of the hurricane. Lord, we pray for those in Haiti who have just been through so many, many uh, terrible storms. And, and Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we lift up the people of Malawi this morning as they continue to seek um, to use the best with the resources that they have. And as they continue to find out and discover who you are, Lord Jesus, through the Wilmonts and the Gervins and through those that are serving there. God, we pray for Wodonga. We thank you for this community. We pray for all the people who live here and ask that you would help us help them come to know you. God, would you pour out a move of your spirit in this community uh, in, in Wodonga. And Lord, we pray for Albury too, especially for those who are uh, seeking uh, election and those that have voted, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, be guiding that process, we pray. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this community where we can love one another, serve one another and grow together in Christ. Lord, help us each thrive as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
wonder if you've uh, realised by now that in life, um, when you're planning for something to take place and you really want it to go well, often it doesn't always go as well as planned. Anyone noticed that um, yet? Yeah. Like you might be planning for a wedding and, uh, oh, thanks. Sorry, Jane. This is something like that, an example now. That's great. You might be uh, planning for a wedding and having a perfect picture like Mandy was um, at our wedding and until um, we sat in Herb's, that was the guy's name, Herb's uh, limousine that we'd hired and uh, we, she sat on the back and her bridesmaid poured water into the flowers that were dead flowers anyway, like they were cut, but they sort of went, the water went right through onto the, their red leather and got onto Mandy's dress, you know, <laughs> and she's ooh, trying to hold it together because she'd wanted it to go well, and yet it hadn't gone well. I think that's why we love those King G ads, you know, the, the Yakka ads where, like, all of a sudden these people's cars are about to fall off the cliff. Have you seen that one? And the man turns up with his, you know, King G Yakka shorts on, and he just sort of whips something around and pulls the car back and everyone goes, oh, isn't that great? I was reminded of this um, one time when uh, Mandy and I were involved down in Melbourne in a Carols by Candlelight um, service. And what it was, it was a place where thousands of people attended. It was like an outdoor community thing in Baldwin. And we were involved in that. And we began the rehearsal on the Saturday afternoon before the, it would happen that night. I remember there was a lady in Baldwin in the area, not far from the place where we were rehearsing, that had a plan for the day. And it involved quietly resting and sleeping. And I think it involved her children having a sleep too. When we started rehearsing, joy to the world, the Lord. And she didn't feel joy at that moment. <laughs> and I think the closer she got to the place where we were rehearsing, the more angrier she got. And by the time she came to where we were, we just all stood in complete stunned silence while she used every word that she could, you know, words in the dictionary, words not in the dictionary, to tell us how she felt about that uh, experience of us playing too loud. And I remember us all just being, not knowing what to do and thinking, <gasps> what can we do here? We're all Christians. We've got to love this lady. And someone right in the midst of it stood up and just said, look, we understand. We're really sorry. What we'll do is we'll try and get a compromise. We'll try and practice a little bit earlier. We've got this big thing tonight. We didn't mean to cause any problems. And the lady slowly, temperature went down and she walked off and was happy. And we thought, isn't it great to have someone in a crisis who can take all the sting out of it and help us do what we were going to do that day. I think this is what happens when Paul comes to talk about the deacons in 1 Timothy. Because often when a church starts and is going along strongly, sometimes things can go terribly wrong. And what we need at times like that is leadership that can help correct the things that have gone terribly wrong. And in Ephesus or Ephesus, it just depends where you put, whether you put the emphasis on what syllable, I think, 
as to whether it's a joke. Do you get it? Ephesus, Ephesus, sorry. Bad joke, isn't it? But in Ephesus, um, the church had been going, going through some real struggles. We've talked about this together and we've, and we've found that there were challenging times. And the whole series is calling How to Thrive in Challenging Times. And if there were ever challenging times, it was at the church in Ephesus. And the reason was that there were people who had started to teach false doctrines. And the doctrines uh, that they were teaching seemed to be coming from people who were actual teachers, who were elders, and people that were teaching these false doctrines. And so Paul had to throw out a couple, and he did that at the end of chapter 1, where he, he threw some out of the church so that they would be handed over and you know, wouldn't cause so much trouble. And then we found, too, that there were other people that had given up because you know, of the, the way of life and had turned right away from the faith and had shipwrecked their faith. There were women who were receiving a really, uh, the, the false teachers were gaining a great harvest through the women who were responding as well. And many of those had been led astray already by Satan at the time of this writing of this letter. So it was difficult times. It was troubling times. And what the church needed in these times were not people that would <gasps> and inflame the situation, not people that would be led astray by the false teachers, not people that would cause more division, but they were looking for leadership that would help the church in this type of situation. I think God wants to have the best kind of people leading his church in challenging times. And I think when he looks around and tries to find leaders for his church... He doesn't use the kind of things that we might look for. I mean, he doesn't look for people who are great at business, for instance. That's not listed in this list today. He, he doesn't look for people who are necessarily wealthy, you know, have a lot of money and, and, and therefore they'll be great on the team. He doesn't even look for people with a long list of religious credentials. That's not what is kind of looked for here in these passages. What do you think God would look for in people who would be involved in leading by serving in the church? In this passage, we look and we find that God says through Paul that in the church at Ephesus, there should be people, men and women, who are worthy of respect that are leading the church, that are ser- leading, leading as servants in the church, worthy of respect. It, it, he looks primarily for people who are respected, who are widely, people look at their lives and they say, that is someone I can respect. They have my admiration. I look for them when it comes to living the Christian life and the way that they live their lives and I look for them and look at them and I see that they're people worthy of respect. A deacon, actually the word that starts this passage, deacons, means to serve, one who serves. It's literally the meaning of the word deacon, one who serves. It's interesting that the word's not one who leads, you know, or one who rules. It's, it's one who serves. 
And I think as you heard Steve talking this morning, saying, you know, just we, we just love to serve and to be able to get alongside and, and ensure that the church, you know, is able to do what we're called to do. So deacons is one who serves. And this passage that comes on has very little to explain the kind of role of the deacon. You know, like a deacon has to do these tasks or these jobs. But what it says is much more about the character of what a deacon should be, how their life should be, uh, should be seen, so that we can look and see, are they people who we respect? So he starts off and puts at the very start what the whole passage is all about, that deacons are to be men worthy of respect. So the first thing, how are they supposed to be people who are worthy of respect? Well, it says first that they're supposed to be sincere. Sincere. This means that uh, they mean what they say. They mean what they say. So we put up here respect. And the first point in the passage is sincere. And it means that they're not double-tongued. Some of your translations will have something called not double-tongued. New King James Version says that. So in other words, they don't talk out of one side of the mouth and then talk out of the other. When you talk to them, you're hearing what they think and what they believe. They're not people who will just say something nice when you're with them and then when you're with someone else, they say something different. They are sincere. They, who you are is what you get with a deacon. Now, I remember when I was growing up, hearing stuff from uh, my mate in the church about key areas of the church that even the area leader didn't know about yet. And I'd say to my dad, who was a deacon, is it true that that person, this is going to happen in that person's area? And my dad would go, how on earth did you find out about that? I'd say, oh, oh, my old mate here told me. And what happened is this deacon would go home and tell his teenage son about decisions that were made about a ministry area over there. And before the diaconate could even inform the person appropriately, where if I was that ministry leader receiving that information, I would receive it much better through the deacons appropriately, it went right through the youth group and we all knew and it got to the person before they got now this is not sincere and that deacon was not doing what they should have been doing that's the first thing that helps people be worthy of respect the second thing is not only should they be sincere but they should be sober a few s's coming in this passage uh, and, and the way the, the passage puts it here is not indulging in much wine. And you know, the Bible just clearly, clearly says this is just not for deacons alone. This is for everybody. The Bible says do not get drunk on wine. So it's just so clear. That's Ephesians 5.18. And today you don't have to look very far to see the wisdom of these words to us and how much we have to be so aware of the dangers of abusing alcohol in any way at all. Um, so many young people today binge drinking, 
creating habits that will destroy their futures. You know, addiction to alcohol just grips so many people and is so destructive that these words here put right at the very front of our minds the importance of being people who are not indulging in much wine. I think um, this is a great thing to look at a deacon's life and if they are abusing alcohol, it's likely that they won't be able to control other areas of their life as well. And so it's so important to look at that. Sincere, sober, selfless is the next one. And so in here it says, and not pursuing dishonest gain in verse 8. And, and the NRS, uh, NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, says, you know, not greedy for money. And kind of there's a sense of a deacon here is not to be someone who's in their role for what they can get for themselves, you know. They're not in their role to kind of advance their own personal causes. That would be kind of like politicking, you know. They're there to serve the people. And so a deacon here uh, might have been someone in those days, sometimes they might have been in danger of people that would take the role because it might involve counting the money and might have involved making decisions that would benefit themselves personally and getting financial gain you know, through the wrong means. And Paul's just saying, that's just not what a deacon is to, to be. They need to be selfless. They need to be not looking and grabbing things for their own agenda, but have an agenda that's God's for the church. And in that role, that's how they serve. Fourth thing, they need to be strong. Strong in the faith. And so the way uh, the, the Bible puts it here is it says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. You know, when you um, cling to something, when you hold on to something and don't let it out of your hands, you're strong. You've got a strong grip on it. You're grasping it firmly and it cannot be taken out of your hand. And a deacon should be one who has a strong grip on the deep truths of the gospel. What part of it? Well, all the depth of what it means to be saved and to have a salvation that comes from God, an understanding of the core beliefs of the Bible, understanding of the deep truths. It's a term to sum up all of what it means to be a Christian and to know the gospel. It's saying here that the deacons in Ephesus particularly desperately needed to know this. Why do you think? Because there's false teachers all around. And there are false teachers here right in. And the deacons need to be able to know what is true and what is not and make decisions based not on uh, errors in thinking and things that are wrong. And, you know, I think for us as a diaconate, often we're gathering together and often we're asking about what, what direction should we take in this area? What, what, what do you think we think about this policy here and there? And you know what we ask the deacons often to do together is to search the scriptures. And to find that out. So not only should you be not a recent convert, as, they, as Paul talked about for the overseer or the pastor, but someone who's not just recent but a strong, committed believer. And they were to do this with a clear conscience. And so when they hold to the truths, 
hold with a clear conscience, not compromising the gospel or changing little bits of it to suit their own agenda so that when they come before God, they've sort of, you know, I'm kind of think I'm doing the right thing, God. But they could stand strong because they're holding on to the gospel. It's interesting, he says, we're doing this with a, a clear conscience because in chapter 1 and verse 19, it says there that many of the false teachers had rejected their conscience and so shipwrecked their faith. These are not to be people like that. Not only are they those SSST, better be tested. I thought, is there another word that I can do to be tested? But you just remember SSST, all right? Tested, they must first be tested in what they do. And we're not talking about here, I don't think Paul's talking about that we've got to get them together and kind of uh, put them through an initiation test, you know, like Bible quiz and check their sort of, you know, put them in difficult extreme circumstances like that King G Yakka man and see how they cope. I think more this is being they need to have been tested in their life. You know what, what I mean? They would have served somewhere, faced some difficulties and sought to overcome the challenges that they've faced in that life. They would have faced criticism and handled it in a godly way. They would have faced times when they were really struggling through you know, suffering or sickness or something and be tested so their faith would be seen. This again points to not a recent convert, but someone who has been tested over time in their Christian walk. And then it says, so if these things are true and there's nothing against them, then let them serve. Let them serve. And that's the heart of what it means to be a deacon, to serve. If all these things, if they're, if, if they're people of respect overall and they're sincere, they're sober, they're selfless, they're strong, they're tested, then let these people serve. And then Paul moves in, the chapter, in, in this chapter and he moves across to the women now, he says, in the same way, wives. Now, it's very interesting here. There is hot debate, probably most debate over this um, verse in the whole of the chapter about whether it's uh, women, the women, or the wives here. So today in our NIV, it clearly says there, in the same way, their wives. And you can see the little text note that I've got up there, left that there. But in your Bibles, if you have an NIV, it will say the deaconesses. Uh, some of you today will have um, in your Bible, um, for instance, if you have the NRSV. Does anyone have the NRSV here today? What does that say? Not here. Oh, not here. So in the NRSV, uh, what about um, anyone else, NRSV? No? Anyway, it says the women in that. The New American Standard Bible says the women, you know. So there's people like... Gordon Fee and, and Stott, and they look at all these things together, these people I've been looking at, and they say, oh, there's all these reasons why it could be this, all these reasons why it could be that. And John Stott says, well, you know, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. It seems obviously that there was women who were deacons. I mean, uh, Romans chapter 16, it sees Phoebe as a deacon. And I, I think if it's the wives, well, the wives of deacons should try and live this way. And if it's the women, then the women who are deacons should also live this way. And I think we know that even though it says a deacon should be a man, the same is exactly true of when we talked about why women were not permitted to teach in that context. Here, if he says they're not permitted to teach, as well, what he's saying, 
addressing the men first and then the women as well. And he's saying both of these um, directly are people that can be in these roles, it seems. And it, the, the context looks at that. Now, what I, what I think, either way, these are three things for women that they're to do. And the other thing it's interesting to notice is it's, they should be women worthy of respect. So whether you're the wife of a deacon or whether you're a deacon yourself, you're to be worthy of respect. And then the next thing that it says is that there should be three uh, things that are true of them. And one is the way they talk. And the talk should not be malicious. Gee, that's a strong word, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time you called someone malicious? Uh, it's, it's interesting. But what this is saying is these, the, the women should not be malicious talkers. Uh, the wives of deacons, the women who are deacons, should not be people who cut down others with their words harshly. They should not be gossips. They should talk in a way that pleases God. They should be temperate. And temperate simply means having self-control. There should be people that are able to be in control of their lives and, and their tongues and their real, everything that they do should be in control. And finally, they should be trustworthy. Another thing, uh, another way of saying this is faithful, that they should be women who are faithful and trustworthy in all that they do. Um, we've had a number of deacon Deacons in the past who have been women. Um, recently we had Tamara Cousins as our church secretary and, and a deacon and she's gone down to Melbourne now. But today we've got Di Wicks who's a woman. And uh, as we look at these, I think it's clear to me, you know, this is something that Di models um, very well and seeks to live in this way. It's almost then Paul says, right, so this is what the deacons who are ma males are supposed to be like, you know, respect, sincere, sober, selfless, strong, tested, and they're to serve. And then this is what the women are supposed to be like who are deacons as well. And he, then it's almost like he goes, oh, now back to the deacons again, uh, just back to the men again. Uh, he, he says, this is what they're supposed to be doing. But I think he's referring to everybody. And he says, here, just a couple more things that I want to add on. You've got to be faithful in family. Almost like he's forgot to say these things, you know, and yet adds them on. Faithful in family. And I think what we're talking, what he's talking about here is very similar to when he talked about the overseers. It's, it's almost exactly the same and saying, as a, as a deacon, uh, you need to be someone who's faithful with your family. And the actual text says there that a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and manage his children and his household well. So I think this is not saying, hey, a deacon has to be married and, and in order to serve. No, we said that last time. It's not also saying that they, um, you, you know, that they have to have children as well. No, the, the, the flavour of this text is saying that they have to be faithful 
in the family that they have. They have to be a good husband if they're a husband. They have to be a good dad if they're a dad. They have to be a good wife if they're a wife. And they have to manage the children well because the way you handle and steward the things that you have says a lot about the kind of person you are and whether you're someone who can be respected. Now, the thing we've got to be very careful of here is some people grab these verses and say, oh, look at this person and look what's happening in their life and their children don't love the Lord. And I don't think that's the intention of this passage at all. I don't think Paul saying be perfect in order in everything because I know that I can try and lead and help bring up my kids to the very best of my ability but you know they're not like um, a builder with wood you know if a builder makes a, tr- a house and it doesn't stand up straight it's the builder's fault you know but if a parent does all that he can to seek with their kids not always will their kids choose to go the godly way. And I don't think we can just look and say, oh, family, good, good father. I think we've got to look more in that is saying, are they being faithful and doing the best that they possibly can to teach, to train, to equip, to model the love of God in their family, to be good in giving out discipline, fair with that. And also, you know, someone who's uh, the kids respect. And if those happening, sometimes those things can happen and the kids choose to go their own way. And that's sad. And I don't think that should be a disqualification. The other thing he finishes off with here is saying two things. They should be people, if you, if you do these things, if you have all, all those things that are mentioned here, you'll be someone who's respected and there's two things that are going to be happening. You'll have an excellent standing. Excellent standing. Who would like an excellent standing? Amongst people, yeah, wouldn't that be fabulous? Excellent standing. People would look and say, oh, gee, this, we respect this person. Look at what they've done. And I think what happens is in the church, a deacon should be someone who people say, I respect them. I've seen their life. I would go and want to talk to them because I know and I've seen the way that they live their lives. And I trust that they will be people that will be godly and will help me in this time. It will be people that you'd look to for counsel and advice at certain times. People who would, we would know would serve our needs as we went to them. And, and the second thing is, and the final thing, which I've run out of room to put on there, but this is that after re- living in this way and being people of respect, you have not only excellent standing, but assurance, great assurance of faith. In Jesus Christ. I think the way this works is um, the word great assurance kind of means an openness or a boldness before God. Isn't that great? Someone who's been a, is this kind of person who's been living this way would have an openness and a boldness before God. A person of great faith. Uh, it says the same words used in 2 Corinthians 3.12 where it says, therefore, since we have such hope, we are bold, you know. And what you see is a life that's been constantly lived in a respectful way with God's people, holding firm on the faith, sober, selfless, all those kind of things. And then the end result is that someone comes at the end of the day and stands before God and pleads for the church, pleads for their family pleads for the lives of those that they are privileged enough to serve. It's fantastic. What a great outcome. So I want to say if you're a deacon in this church, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to serve. 
The way that our church works is like this. Um, our, at the very, uh, it's not kind of like a hierarchy, but the very top, if we did have a hierarchy, would be God. Christ is the head of the church. That's one of our key values. And then second, straight under this is church members, people who have given their lives to Jesus and have trusted in him, have been baptised and have, have committed themselves to this community. And what we do is we gather together at a church meeting regularly and together we seek who will be our pastor, who will, what will our, um, you know, what will, who will be members, how can we, we do all of that at the church meeting, the important part of that. And then the church members together elect and vote and, and seek men and women worthy of respect who will serve as deacons in our church, people who will seek to do all that they can to help our church in their, by their serving. And then the bottom here are pastors and staff who are also given the delegated responsibility of the day-to-day operations of the church. These roles, we elect deacons whose role is to help do the main functioning of the church so that the pastors and the staff can minister in a way that equips you, each and every one of you, for ministry to use your gifts and to serve in the areas that we have together. So deacons... Your role is key and we're very, very thankful for what you do and we're pleased with the group that we have now serving in this way. I'd love you today to pray for our deacons. These are our current deacons and uh, they're, they're the team that we have together. What we'll do is this week as we give out our um, prayer notes we're going to send these out to you. Uh, if you're a small group leader, we, we send them to you. If you just like to receive our regular weekly prayer notes, just email the office and ask to be put on that or put it on your blue card today. But we'll send these names out this week in our prayers so that you can pray for them and that you can continue to pray for our uh, deacons as well. The other question I want to ask you as you consider to pray for these people as we're thankful for them, is are you someone who qualifies to be a deacon this morning? Ask that question. If I came down this morning and sort of came right up to you and said, hey, would you like to be a deacon? What would be your response? And then the question is, if the answer is why not, is that a character issue? I think God's trying to say he wants to work on that area in your life today. If you'd say, I could never be someone who's you know, selfless like that. Well, here's the news. God wants you to be selfless. If you say, I could never be someone who's, you know, uh, who's being like that, uh, being you know, someone who's sober all the time, God wants you to deal with that problem. If you say, I could never be someone who's not a malicious talker, hear that God wants you to grow in that. 
the vision for our church is that when it comes to deacon time, you know, we would just have so many people who qualify. What we long to, to, to do in our church together, our vision is, is that each and every one of you, one of us would thrive and that we would keep going. And the way this happens is that people come and seek to know about Jesus. And some of you might be here today and you've never made a commitment to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're maybe like a seed who's been coming along, been planted in the ground, but as yet you haven't taken root. You haven't put your faith in Jesus. You're investigating. You're saying, is Jesus real? Did he really come to earth? Did he really die for my sin? Can I have a personal relationship with him? And if you're a seed today, I just want to say, it's so great that you're here. Keep in this stage asking all about who Jesus is and whether you can put your trust in him. But there comes a time when you have to make a decision. And for people that do that, the seed that was planted begins to sprout. And this is when you become a Christian. And in this time, what we want you to do is to actually grow and to keep growing right through this stage. And the way you grow is understanding how you can be firmly rooted in your faith. It's very important these times to get your roots down deep and there's no other better place to get your roots down deep than getting into God's word. And in this time, we want you to be able to develop habits that help grow people up strong in their faith so that they will continue to grow. And when hard times come and difficult times come, people don't give up. They keep getting stronger. And at the end of this stage, we just want people to be strong, firmly rooted in God's word. As you continue to grow, you start to serve, use your gifts, start to give regularly and start to want to be part of a small group. And, and you want to be part of serving in community and using your gifts to serve the world. And what people start to see in your life is that there is the fruit of evidence of your faith in Christ starting to show here. There's little flowers budding up and, and people can see that person loves Jesus. That person loves Jesus. And in this time, we want you to grow more and more to a point where your whole life is committed completely, surrendered totally, where you say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Deacons are people that we look for who are in this area. And when you come to this Christ-centred area, all of your life is about seeking to find ways where you can help share this incredible good news with other people so they can become seeds and sprout and flower and fruit. So the question today is, from these areas are where deacons grow. God wants not just a limited number of people that are spiritually mature in our life and able to serve. He wants us to have every single person growing and growing towards this area. And the question is, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? What step do you need to take today to have help in that area? I think the most interesting thing about the deacons, the role deacon, is it means to serve. And for you, whether you ever thought of becoming a deacon, God wants you to be a servant. How do we know that? When Jesus came, 
He left his throne in heaven. He came down with all power and authority and all majesty. And he said boldly to everybody in Mark chapter 10, 45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is a servant. Uh, the night before he was crucified, he knelt down at the feet of his disciples and he washed their feet and he said, I've set you an example, you do the same. Jesus said, whoever wants to be the greatest, whoever wants to be the first, must be the very last and the servant of all. God wants you to serve him wholeheartedly, to surrender everything to him so you can serve him in your life. What's stopping you? Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your challenge this morning to us to keep growing. And thank you for the way that you have worked in people's lives. God, we thank you for our deacons and uh, we thank you for speaking to us this morning about them. In Jesus' name, amen. In the moments that we remain, we're going to just ask the deacons to come forward. So if you're a deacon, if you could just come right up to the front now, that would be great. Yep, Larry too, yep. Every, every deacon, if you could come up to the front, that would be great. Why don't you come down here, everybody? Great. So here are our deacons. We've got uh, David Rowlings, I think, might be away on the, on the caravaners club. Castaways. Here they are. Why don't you just say thank you to them for their service. And we do want to say thank you. And uh, we respect you and uh, we're really pleased for the way you've been willing to serve. Why don't we stand together and we'll pray for them right now. Oh God, we want to thank you for the way that you have been working in these men and in, this, in these women's lives. We thank you, God, for each one of them. We thank you for the way in which you have come and met them personally and that they've put their trust and faith in you. God, we thank you for the way they seek to live their lives, honouring you and being people of, uh, that are respectable, that we can look to. God, we thank you for their willingness to serve. And Lord, we would just ask now that you would give them great wisdom. God, that you would give them great humility. God, we pray that you would give them great diligence. Lord, we pray that they would be people that are self-controlled, selfless, God, that they would be sober, that they would be sincere. God, that they would be people that are tested, not malicious talkers. God, we pray that they would be people that in every way honour you. And God, through all that our church faces, even now when we're just not meeting budget, or even now when we are looking to you for the future and just saying, lead us, God, would you use this group of people to be those that keep us so fixed and focused on you? that we will thrive no matter what the circumstance. Oh, God, thank you for the gift of these people. In Jesus' name, amen.